We are going to continue our series called The Rise and Fall of King Solomon. So if you are new with us, you haven't heard all the sermons, pretty simple. Uh, We're in chapter 9, so we've studied chapters 1 through 8, just like any other book. There's chapters, and they're telling the story of King Solomon, who took the throne after his his father David, who uh, brought peace to the kingdom, who executed judgment in the kingdom, um, who then uh, built the temple, then led the people in this dedication of the temple, which Mr. Colin preached the last two weeks. Who was here the last two weeks to hear Mr. Colin preach? All right. Only a few of you more of you were there. Who was here these last two weeks? All right. Okay. So Colin preached. We preached on uh, 1 Kings 6 on what the temple looked like, the structure, then the furniture. Remember the pillars, the sea of basin, the lampposts, all these things filled with gold. And then, and then Colin preached on prayer right he preached on god's presence and then prayer and tonight we're going to look at first kings chapter 9 where we see god coming to solomon a second time to answer his prayer but let me pray first and foremost before we get into god's word father god thank you so much for this time thank you for these students these junior hires they um lord though they are young you've given them a mind to understand your word. Your word is clear and is sufficient for them. The God of the universe, that, that the creator, our creator, gave us his word to obey, to trust, and to follow. And I pray that as your word is open, that these junior hires would show honor and respect to you and to one another. Lord, and I pray that as you use me to explain what your word means, that you would open up their eyes, their ears, and their hearts to receive your word, to obey it, to trust it, to believe it, and then to live by it. God, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we see in First Kings 9 is an ultimatum. An ultimatum. You guys know what an ultimatum is? An ultimatum is kind of like a choice that you come to. You've come to an ultimatum. There's this fork in the road. You will either, if you make one choice, say the food you eat, right? Let's just say you come, you're like, all right, I, there's two options. I can either have Chick-fil-A or Chipotle, right? One choice will bring benefits, whereas the other choice may not bring benefits. So you're like, which one is better? You're at an ulti- There's an ultimatum there that you've got to make. There's a choice. Some ultimatums, like what I just said, are temp- they have temporary consequences. If you eat Chick-fil-A, you'll feel great for a few hours. Maybe you get a little bit sluggish later. If you go to Chipotle, it'll feel like you ate a whole brick, right? And it just sits in your stomach, and then you're really tired, you've got to take a nap. So have you seen one of those burritos? like the size of my baby daughter. It's like so small. Like I... Anyways, it's crazy, right? And you eat that thing and it's like a sleeping pill. It just puts you right to sleep. So much food. So you, you, some, some choices that you make, like what you wore tonight. Some of you like, didn't even think twice about it. Some of you like, thought way too long about it, right? But you had to make a choice. You had, there was an ultimatum that you had to make. But the consequences are kind of temporal. They don't really have eternal consequences. Now, there are some choices in your life that you will make. 
that have major ramifications, right? When I look back on my life as a young adult, I could see that where God has taken me, it, it, it comes from a series of ultimatums in my life. I never would have become a pastor if I didn't quit tennis. I had to come to a choice. I was going to play tennis in, in college. I had to make a choice. The Lord helped me, and I chose to do ministry. Then, at 19, I had an op- opportunity to, uh, to move away from home to live with my aunt and uncle and their four kids and to do junior high ministry. Now, I have a choice. Do I stay home or do I leave? All right. If I stay home, I never meet Caitlin. Okay? So that choice, pretty big choice there. I left. I didn't know Caitlin was there. Two years later, now I'm at another ultimatum. Should I pursue Caitlin or not? Uh, I don't know. Will she be a pastor's? Will she be a good pastor's wife? I'm not sure. Will she be able to handle it? What if God calls us to Iran or something? Would she come with me? You know, or even worse, Rockford. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love this place. I love Rockford. The weather needs to change now. Uh, right? That's a big decision. That's a big decision. Now I come to another decision. Am I going to marry her? Am I going to pop the question? Now that's a big ramifications. Keep going down the line and we get married. Now am I going to do ministry in California or am I going to move to Rockford? I would have never met you guys, right? A lot of big decisions, ultimatums. Some have temporal consequences. Some have eternal. There was one in eighth grade. And the Lord confronted me with my sin. Am I going to continue living in sin and die in my sin? Or am I going to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior? One means eternal death, or the other, eternal life. Big ultimatum. You know, there's, to put it in another illustration, there's a scene in, I think it's Endgame. When Black Widow and Hawkeye come to a pretty important ultimatum where someone has to give their life in order to get the, is it the soul stone? Mm, Big choice, right? It's a pretty moving scene. It's one of my favorite scenes, actually. That and then the part when Peter Parker, like, fades away. Like, it's really sad, you know? But she gives her life for her friends. Big ultimatum with big consequences. One meant death, but life for another. And so we see in 1 Kings chapter 9, God comes to Solomon and he gives him an ultimatum. And we, let's read it in the text before I go on, because I want to go on. So 1 Kings chapter 9, let's read it. Let's see this ultimatum. And as we read, we're going to see that we are all faced with the same ultimatum as well. The same choice here. So let's read the passage. 1 Kings chapter 9. We're only doing verses 1 through 9. Because after this, the rest of chapter 10 or 9, uh, from verses 10 to 28, talk about Solomon's greatness. All right? But we're not going to talk about that tonight. 1 Kings chapter 9. As soon as Solomon finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. And as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer 
and your plea. Remember, Solomon had just dedicated the temple. He had this prayer to the Lord. Now God kindly comes to him again. And he says, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. And I have consecrated this house. I have made it holy that you have built. How? By putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Look at verse four. And as for you, I'm going to give you a command, an ultimatum. And the ultimatum goes like this. It starts with an if and then a then. (laughs) If, then, if, then. If you do this, then this will happen. All right. So let's see what God says. Verse four. As for you, Solomon, if you will walk before me as David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then, so verse four, you could go back circle, if, if you will walk, verse five, then I will establish a royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if, you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them. Verse seven, then I will cut you off from Israel. I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them and the house, the temple that I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then the people will respond and say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought them, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt. And because they laid hold on other gods, worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. All right. This is the word of the Lord. In the passage, we're going to see four things. Four things in the next 12 minutes. I could do this. First, first thing is that we need to adore the kindness of God. You and I need to adore the kindness of God. Where are you getting this? The text didn't even mention anything about kindness. That's what you should be asking me. You're like, JT, you're supposed to be preaching the word. How come there's nothing about kindness in there? All right, this is what I mean by that. Adore the kindness of God. God's character and his kindness is shown to us in the fact that God would so graciously come and speak to Solomon a second time. Now, 20 years had passed, 20 years without the word of the Lord. But God graciously hears his prayer and then comes to him, condescends down, comes down, stoops down like me. I'm a a father. I'm six foot tall and baby Eden is on the ground. I stoop down to her and I I pick her up and I hold her. The same idea. God, he's so transcendent. He's so glorious. He's our creator. He's majestic. He's sovereign, yet the sovereign, almighty, majestic God would come down to lowly Solomon. Out of all the kings of the earth, he comes to Solomon. Out of all the people, the millions of people, he hears his prayer and he comes to him. What do we learn from that? That our God 
is a kind God. Even more than just King Solomon, where you're like, King Solomon was great. Of course God would hear him. Well, how about you and I? 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is attentive to our prayers. I love when junior hires come to prayer night. Not many of you come to prayer night, but some of you do. One of my favorite things to do is to pray in your groups and to hear you pray. Because I know that though you are four foot tall, 70 pounds, 11, 12, 13 years old, the God of the universe would be so kind to hear your your prayers. Think about that. That out of the trillions of people, God would hear your prayer. And here ours. He's a kind God. And I want to show you that. He, he is holy. We see this in the text. He comes, he says, I have heard your prayer and plea, which you have made before me. This is why we should pray, because God is attentive to the righteous. One of the things that I love about Redeemer students since I've gotten here is it's always had a culture within it of older students really loving on the younger students. What I love to see, what is beautiful to my eyes, what is rare in this culture in our day and age, is when you eighth graders love to serve the sixth graders. Or when I see high schoolers stoop down and come and hang out with you guys. Maybe you're like, oh, they never do that. But that's something that we should uh, uh, strive for. When I see many of you serving in kids ministry, that's beautiful. You're stooping down to the level of the kids to serve them. Well, God, in the same way, he's holy, he's majestic, he's far bigger than you are compared to the little kids in kids' ministry, yet he comes to us. He's a kind God. First Timothy, sorry, Titus 3, 4 through 6. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, uh, of our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which are, we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. See, God is so kind that he would stoop down to us to give us his word. God is not obligated to hear our prayers, yet he does. He pursues us. And this isn't the first time that God stoops down. Doesn't he do that with Adam? He creates Adam, and then he comes and he gives Adam his law. He saves Israel from, from, from Egypt, and then he comes on a mountain, and he gives them his word. He comes to Solomon, and he comes to us. Application. Do you adore the kindness of God? What does adore mean? It comes from the word adoration. It means to have a deep love and respect for something or someone. Do we adore God and his character? Is that the thing that you deeply love? Well, you should. Why? Because he has first deeply loved us. So that's the first thing. Adore the kindness of God. Second is remain faithful. The lesson here is to remain faithful to the law of God. God comes to Solomon and he gives him a command. He says, if you walk before me, if you obey my laws as David did, and if you obey from the heart, with, with your heart, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your throne, your royal throne forever. I will give you an eternal kingdom. And so the command to us is to remain faithful. We're called to remain faithful to the law of God. 
If we obey God, there is rewards. There is blessings for obeying God. The law of God are His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. A commandment that you are all familiar with. It's the first commandment I'm going to teach my daughter. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. For it's the first command that comes with a promise. That's the law of God. It is good. It is for your happiness. It is for, for, there's blessing. There's reward. What is the reward in Ephesians 6.1? So that you may live long in the land. There's a blessing for obedience. It's the only command that comes with a promise. So the law of God, some of it is like the law of God, all these rules. You know, what are they about? Well, they really show us the character of God. They're for your good. How many of you uh, drive in here? Only the leaders. <laughs> How many of your parents drive? Okay, all of them. Okay, good, good. That's good. How many of your parents have to always use GPS when they're driving? How about when they're going to Chicago? How about when they're going out of state? Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm trying to get everyone's hand in here. All right. What does a GPS do? Say it, Doherty. Yeah, it's like a guide. That's right. That's the word I was looking for. It's like a guide. Well, did you know the word of God is like a guide? The law of God is like a guide for us. It shows us what is pleasing to God. God has a love language, all right? Some of you are familiar with that. Caitlin's love language is words of encouragement. I think that's not what it is. What is it? Words of affirmation. Thank you. So she loves when I write her these Shakespearean letters that are so romantic, you know, right? She loves that. Eden's love language is just being held and changing her poopy diaper and going to sleep. God has a love language and his love language is obedience to his law. He has given us his word. He's told us what he loves and we are called to live by it. Well, God tells Solomon what he wants. He says, You need to obey me. You need to walk according to the law that David did from the heart. And if you do it, you will have eternal life, eternal kingdom. And so we see just like God came to Adam, he came to, he condescended to Adam, gave Adam a law. If you do this, you will live. If you obey me, you will live. He comes to Israel on Mount Sinai. He says, if you obey my laws, you will live. He comes to Solomon, if you obey my laws, then you will live eternal life, eternal, eternal royal throne forever and ever. And he comes to us and he says, if you obey my laws, you will live. You will have eternal life. There's blessing. We must remain faithful to the law of God. So are you. We need to remain faithful. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason why we must remain faithful. It's because there's consequences for not. And even when I'm telling you now that God commands us to be faithful, you probably feel in your heart, I haven't been faithful this week at all. You already gave that command, JT. Ephesians 6, 1, obey your parents, children. You know, obey your children. Obey your parents, right? Exactly, right? Well, I haven't done that this week. Well, what does God say in verse 6? Look, 
But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but go and serve other gods. See, when we sin, we're really serving other gods and we worship them. Verse seven, what is the consequence? Then I will cut you off. I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them. I will banish them. I will exile them. What was Adam's punishment for disobeying God's law? I'm looking for another word. It's true. Exile. Someone said exile. Good word. Exile. He was banished. He was banished. So here's the, here's the, here's the scenario. In my, in my, I'm making a circle here. This is called the circle of blessing. Okay? Whenever I would get in trouble, I would disobey my parents. My mom would sit me down on this pink chair. Remember it, because that's where the spanker was too. <laughs> And she would go, son, this is the circle of blessing. The circle of blessing is obeying your mother. Why? Why do I need to obey you, mom? Because God called me to do that. Or called me to be in authority over you. So when you disobey me, you're disobeying God. And when you obey me, you get to live within the circle of blessing. There's blessings. But when you disobey, you're removed from that circle. You're outside of the circle. You've been banished from the circle. And I now must punish you so that you can come back in. And so I'm going to give you three little spankings, all right? Then I would get a spanking. And then I got to continue this because it's always out of love. She would look me in the eyes and say, you know, you know why I had to do that? It's because God has called me to do that. And because there's consequences for sin. Sin has consequences. And I don't want you, son, to go on and live a life of sin. Because really, the punishment for that is eternal damnation. And so, there's hope in Jesus Christ. If you repent and believe in him, he will wash you away of sin. So, I got to continue that because people are like, spanking, that's wrong in today's culture. No, it was always within a gospel context. It was. But here we see that we are called to remain faithful. And when we don't, there's punishment. So point number three. Point number three. Pay attention. We need to pay attention to the warnings of God. So we need to adore the kindness of God, remain faithful to the law of God, and now pay attention to the warnings of God. God warns Solomon to, to shun or run away from idolatry. Idolatry. Do not go and serve other gods. Do not lay hold of them. Do not worship them. Do not serve them. Well, you're like, I don't have any statues of Buddha or anything in my house. So therefore, I'm not an idolater. Ha! Well, there's this New City Catechism that our church does. Our children's ministry does. Anyone know what that is? New City Catechism? Okay, some of you know what it is. If you serve in kids' ministry, this is what the, one of the kids are going to ask you. They're going to say, hey, teacher, or what I used to call my teachers, teach. Hey, teach. I'm just kidding. That's rude. Don't do that. That's disobeying your authority, right? Yeah. Hey, teacher, what is idolatry? And you know what you're going to say? You're going to say, hey, there's a great answer for that in the New City Catechism. It, idolatry is putting your trust in anything other than your creator for your hope, happiness, Significance and security. Boom. Right there. Four things. Four things. Putting your trust in anything other than God for your hope, your happiness, 
satisfaction, significance, and security. Solomon, do not turn away from the law of God. Do not go after the pleasures of this world. Do not make friends your hope, happiness, significance, and security. Do not make sexual immorality your hope, happiness, significance, and security. Do not make relationships your hope, happiness, significance, security. Do not make gold your hope, happiness, significance, security. Do not make video games your hope, happiness, security. Keep going. Do not make your pets, your clothes, your looks, your social media. How do I know I have an idol in my heart? When your parents say, no more video games for a month, and your heart is broken. When your parents say, I don't want you to go to that party or hang out with those friends, and you're mad. Idolatry. That's how you know. If you can't live without it, or you have to sin to get it, that's idolatry. And what is the consequences for our sin? What is the consequence? It's a curse. God tells Solomon that you're going to lose, if you do this, you're going to lose your turf, your temple, and your throne. I'm not talking about forever long turf. Lover. Turf. What am I talking about? I'm talking about land. If you disobey, her dad sells turf. That's why, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Solomon, if you disobey, if you disobey, you and all your people will be kicked out of the land. This temple will be destroyed. You will become a byword. And you will lose the throne. And you know what happened? Years later, Solomon breaks God's law by acquiring the three G's. Gold, gals, and giddy up. And you know what happens? It's really sad. The kingdom is split. Years later, Assyria comes in, takes over Israel, takes them captive, wipes them out. Years after that, Babylon comes and they besiege the city of Jerusalem. And they starve the people. The people literally have to eat their own children to survive. This literally happened. They're eating, in Jeremiah it talks about, they had to eat their own feces in order to survive. They starved, they were, can, they, cannibalism, sickness, death, disease. Because you know what a siege is. It's when the army circles the city, so then they can't leave it. So then they can't get water or food or anything. And then Babylon came in and they destroyed everything. They wiped out the temple. And God's people, they were removed from the land. Why? Why? Look at verse 9. Why were they removed from the land? It says, Because they abandoned the Lord their God. They abandoned him and they served other gods. Here's the application for you and me. We have God's word here. You have an ultimatum. You can either trust in God's word, remain faithful, or... and receive eternal life, or reject God and be cut off. When, when Eden was born, she came out, it's amazing. 
And she had this umbilical cord. I had the opportunity. I got to snip that thing. Whoosh. What does that do? The baby was fed through this cord. The life of the mother given to the child. And so I cut it off. Cut off from life. Well, really, she could breathe. But the idea is, if you reject God, you will be cut off. Not only in this life, but in the life to come forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. Where there is gnashing of teeth forever and ever. Listen to Hebrews 10.26. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, that will consume us. See, this is the cost of not following Jesus. You need to pay attention to the warning of God. God is warning you through this passage to obey him. Well, you're like, I failed. So therefore, I, I deserve death. That's right, the wages of sin is death. Is there any hope for us? Lastly, yes, there is. That's not my point. But receive the grace of God. One, adore the kindness of God. Second, remain faithful to the law of God. Pay attention to the warnings of God. We realize that we are not faithful. We fail. There's none righteous. No, not one. We've broken God's law. We've not obeyed from the heart. And so what do we need? We need a better king. And ultimately, Solomon goes on to fail. He fails, like I said. And so you know what the people need? They need a savior. Receive the grace of God. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. In your Bibles. I should hear them right now. Galatians chapter 3. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is the person of Jesus Christ. Solomon would have a grandson. Years later, who would come, who would condescend. He would stoop down to his creation. He would become a man in the form of a baby. Jesus. What kindness, right? He would come. Second, Jesus would remain faithful to the law of God. And third, he would take the curse that we deserved upon himself. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll end with this. For all who rely on works of the law, verse 10, sorry, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. So if you don't obey God, you are cursed. We're cursed. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the, righteousness, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Look at verse 13. The key. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, eternal life, eternal throne, uh, royal kingdom, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here's the good news. Though Adam failed, Israel failed, Solomon failed, you and I failed, there's one who didn't fail, and that is Jesus. He came to us, he stooped down from heaven, 
He was so kind to come down to us. He lived among us. He obeyed God's law perfectly. He then took the curse. He was cut off from God on the cross. Nailed on the cross for us. So that those who believe in him will have eternal life. So that verse 5 of 1 Kings would be true. That there is an eternal king on the throne forever. His name is Jesus. And you have an ultimatum tonight. Will you trust in him and receive eternal life? Or will you reject him and receive eternal damnation in hell forever? That's your ultimatum. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that every single student in here would come to trust in Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world. He did what Solomon did not do. He obeyed perfectly. And that those who receive him by faith, they receive all the blessings of the kingdom. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would save some tonight, that as they leave, that they would be faced with this ultimatum. I pray that some that don't know you tonight, that they would not be able to sleep until they come to you by faith, until they confess their sins and ask that you would come and save them. And I know that you will. You always answer that prayer. You always answer the simple prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. You've never not answered that, that prayer. And so I pray that you would save. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed to life groups. So great to see you.